whatever. But uh, we need to have a strong prayer life. We need to approach prayer with the right attitude. Be real. Don't try to impress others. Don't try to impress God. You can't. You cannot impress God by your long praying or particular words. I think that when we pray, my belief on prayer is that we talk to God like our friend because that's what he is. He's my friend. And in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5, God said, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. I don't believe there's, I don't want to try to tell a person to pray. You pray, I don't know if God's leading you. If it's five minutes, ten minutes, but, you know, I've been in places where a person, you know, is, uh, the service is, is over, you know, and the gentleman would lead in prayer and, and go over almost every point and thank you for the food they're about to eat. You know, it's just, uh, it's, people are not listening when that goes on, or at least that's, I've got some feelings. But we go on down to verse 6 in Matthew 6 and verse 6, you know, it said we need to be relaxed. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into the closet, and thou, when thou hast shut thy door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and the Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Then it ought to be revealing. My prayer ought to be what's upon my heart. And verse 7 said, But when thy pray, use not vain repetition, as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. And I remember my wife's friend Every time she would get a sniffle, she would want me to come and pray over her. She said, I just feel close to the, to the Lord. Well, you know, that's, that's good. We like to be able to be a blessing to somebody, but when you ask the preacher to come and pray for you and then the cops pick you up that night for drunk driving or you picked up for, you know, shoplifting or something, there's something doesn't add up. But what God says, you know, here in Matthew 6, 9, after this manner, therefore pray ye our Father which are in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. You realize that no matter how much groceries we have, and this time, you know, everybody is trying to stock up a little bit. But it's all a gift from God. I mean, he, I thank him. That's why I don't eat without praying. I don't pray no long sermon when I'm at a restaurant. But, you know, I, 
I don't eat without praying because that meal is a gift from God. And so he tells us, forgive us our debtors as we forgive our debts or our debtors. You, we have church members. We had a preacher's wife that, that said, you know, I'll say I'm sorry, but I'll not change anything. Not going to forgive. If you're a child of God and somebody asks you to forgive you, you don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. If you're a child of God, if I offended you and I come to you and say, will you forgive me? If you're a child of God, I don't think that's an option. Unless you're out of the will of God. Because God makes it very plain. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debtors as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Have you ever noticed that if you watch must TV, you know, it's just one filthy word after another. You know, and, and the average person, I was talking to somebody and said, well, I didn't hear it. You're just picking. If you're a child of God and you hear somebody curse, you hear it. We looked at that later as six parts of a prayer is praise, purpose, provision, pardon, people, protection. When my kids were at home, every time they went out to a ball game, to a party, or on a date, I prayed for their safety. Another guideline, as we briefly went over, is the acts. The guideline is adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Ask for our needs. These are things that are that are important that we need to review. The ninth lesson was the heart had the, or excuse me, the habit of giving. Honor God with my money. What little money I have belongs to the Lord. My house belongs to the Lord. My truck I drove in belongs to the Lord. I paid for it. I worked for it. But who gave me the strength? Who gave me the job? You know, I can say something that a lot of people my age cannot say. Once I was out of school and I started to work, I never, one day, brought one day of unemployment. Never was laid off. I only went from that job to that job if it was a better job. It wasn't the fact whether I liked it or not. You're working for the money. So, you know, God leads. I don't ask anybody else to do that. But what I do do if I was counseling your daughter or if I was counseling your son or somebody 
and I would say they want to get married, I would ask, how long have you been out of school? How many jobs have you had? There's a problem if a person had four jobs in one year, unless they got laid off. I'm talking about quitting because they didn't like it. Brother, when you've got two or three kids at home, it doesn't make any difference whether you like it or not. You work, and God will bless you for that. How given reveals my spiritual maturity. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 7. Notice what God said. He says here, Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, and utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. So if you're a giver, that's a grace. God gave you that grace of giving. And it's not just money. The only, only where money is involved in your giving is that whatever you make, 10% of it belongs to the, to the Lord. You don't give it to him, he'll take it. It's that simple. But what do we do with other? You know, somebody needs somebody to stay at, at the hospital with somebody. You're able, you're ready. You ought to be able, you ought to want to do that. That's not, see, so giving is more than just money. Putting this in perspective, look what the Bible says in the key word that are used in the Bible. The word believe is used 272 times. Prayer is used 371 times. Love is used 714 times. Give is used how many? How many would you guess? 2,162. Because that's what Christians do. Christians give. Not just money. They give when they can help somebody in a need. They can do it. Their time schedule allow them. They want to do it. My wife loved my oldest sister. You know, we was going to get married on a Friday night, and I wound up in the hospital on a Monday night. I was in the hospital 41 days, and my sister came and took my fiancé to the hospital every day. Why? Because she loved her brother. And if I loved her and she loved me, then she automatically loved them. Why God wants us to give? Because he gave. Giving makes me more like God. God said in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he, what gave? His only begotten Son. The whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
Giving draws me closer to God because God said, where your treasure is, there is your heart is also. Giving is the antidote to materialism. Well, that's hard for people to understand and agree with. But uh, anyway, let's see a little bit of what God's Word has on enlightenment on that. First Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6. God says here. Verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. I tell this story. I never get tired of telling it. Y'all probably get tired of hearing it, but when we was on 2nd Street, we weren't bringing in enough money every week to pay our bills, and this little man came about once every month, and the offering went up. Didn't see him anymore. About another month, you see him show up again. And the offering went up. Found out he was a member of a Nazarene church over the parish. But God led him to that little old Baptist church down on 2nd Street. And what he gave, we met the bill. And then God's added, and God added. Whatever I've got belongs to the Lord. And I'm not saying to give, give, give. I'm just, I'm just saying that in our abundance, God will bless it. But you've got to believe that. You've got to really, truly believe that. Giving strengthens your faith. You trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding. Honor the Lord by giving Him the first part of your income. And he will fill your barns to overflowing. Giving is an investment in eternity. Give happily to those in need and always be ready to share whatever God has given you. By doing this, you will bestow of real treasure. Now, you know, we either believe that or we don't. But I'm telling you, you can't outgive the Lord. You can't outlove the Lord. God says in First Timothy chapter six, verse eighteen and nineteen. God said, "They that do good, that they be rich in good works, readily to distribute, willing to communicate." laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. If the Lord doesn't come, I really feel sorry for our young people because social security is almost a joke now. It'll be a joke in a few years because there won't be none. (coughs) 
giving blesses you in return. A generous man will himself be blessed. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Good will come to him who is generous. And again, you know, when we think about giving, all we think about is money. But I've got to give myself to the Lord first. I've got to realize that I belong to the Lord. He can bless me or he can cut that spout off anytime he wants to. So I think it's just a good idea to say, get up in the morning and say, you know, I ate today. I ate yesterday. God has been good to me. All I do is go to, to the store and say, man, look how high that meat is. Or look how high this is. And it is. But God's promise said, I don't care what Biden's inflation goes. God said, I'll not put more on you than you can bear. Either we believe it or we don't. You know, it's, it's left up to us. What was the difference? You know, what does the Old Testament teach about giving habits? That is much to learn studying the topic of tithing. What was the difference between a tithe and an offering? How much should I give? Where do I give? Is there a biblical basis to give to the local church? When should I give? And what some key attributes to keep in mind when giving? I became the pastor of this church in 1977. The first thing that I led the church out of was Baptist Faith Missions. God blessed me to use my pastor and my grandfather's church. They both, God used me to, you know why? Because all you had to do to get supported by Baptist Faith Missions would say you was called. Nobody at all, you know, would ask them, do you believe this? Our missionary ought to be as close to us as they can be. Do you want Brother Mills preaching something in Trinidad that's different than what the word is? I'm not talking about small things, you know. You know, those little small things that I don't mention very much anymore is because it doesn't do any good after years and years, you know. It's just like some have told me, you can preach that, but I won't do it. And all I do is wait back and say, Lord, you be merciful. That's all I'm saying. Because if the Bible teaches this and you don't make up your mind, I'm not going to do it, then God's going to deal with it.
Vice number 10 was the habit of fellowship, participating in God's family. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, we all know that verse, don't we? Forsake not the assembling of yourself to gather as the manner of some is. You know, he, he, he tells us, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. But what do we see? People are saying, I agree with you, brother. The Lord's on his way. And they got Christmas and Easter. You make sure they're going to be at church on Christmas and Easter. You know, I believe there was a born and I believe there was a death, but they got all the dates wrong and, the, you know, but that's all right. I don't believe God accepts a lot, see? So that habit of fellowship. You read that verse like you never have heard before. You hear it, you read it, you study it, you memorize, you meditate on it, and you apply it. What? Hebrews 10, 25. Don't encourage people to come together, but come together to be encouraged. This sentence seems to summarize both this misemphasis on this verse, plus the correct emphasis of this verse. See, there are seven reasons why fellowship is important. I belong to God's family with other believers. You know, uh, I guess that uh, I probably love my church family as much, if not more than my normal family, because I don't see my regular family very often. I know it surprised some of you. Somebody called me today and said, when's the last time you heard from Anthony? I said, Anthony who? I was being such, you know, a little... But, but it it bothers me. It bothers me when, see, when I was growing up, and Judy can verify that, you know, I've said it before, we were one of 12, 14 kids, and, and on Sunday they all was down at Mom's house getting that chicken and, you know, and fried potatoes and stuff. And on Wednesday night, the oldest two was down there every time. I mean, now... Somebody's got to die or they've got cancer. And after all the day in remission, they'll be all right. It's about that bad. I said, what did you do? I told them they ought to be in church if they're saved. Don't tell me you're saved and you don't want to be in church because the two don't go together. But you may be. I'm just... Expressing how I feel. 
you know. I believe if I love my wife and I want to be where my wife is at. Pretty good instant is to tell whether a marriage is real or not. How much time do you want to spend? When you've got some free time, do you want to be with your wife or you want to be with your buddies? Nothing wrong with being with your buddies. But you don't be with your buddies every time you've got free time. You may say, well, that's not preaching. You're right, that's real good preaching. Because it's facts. We need encouragement to grow spiritually. We need encouragement. And that's what we do when we come into God's house. We've just got to see, you know, back to Hebrews chapter 10 and in verse 24. God said, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. We ought to provoke one another. We ought to say, you know, I love you and I miss you when you're not here. And if you're sick, I would like to know about it so we can pray for you. If you're out of town, we want to pray that you be safe. I need accountability to grow spiritually. You know, when I see a church member doing something that is against the scripture and I go to him, I'm not there to say, oh, I, I saw you. I'm here to say you're part of the family and if you're not in fellowship with, with the Lord, it affects the whole family. Does it not? We like to think we're an island all by ourselves. You know, ain't nobody else's business what I do. Well, did God save you and add you to the church or did he not? It's like when I said I do and Doris said I do. Now it's Doris' business what I do and it's my business what she does. And if you disagree with that statement, you're wrong because we became one. And one is my business, what I do, right? I'm one. So when God added us together, we became one. When God saved you and added you to the body, when you're out of fellowship, it affects the church. I ain't hurting nobody. People learn what they've got to do. We've had them right in this church. They're no longer there, no longer coming. Come before the church on Sunday morning, repent of their sins, asking God to forgive them, telling the church, I love the church, I want to be back in fellowship. And that Sunday afternoon, do the very same thing that they said they repented of. And they wonder why they're having the problems they're having now. I tell you, if God ever saved them, he will get tired of that and take them on home. I don't care whether they got five kids or ten kids. You don't play games with the Lord. 
Christ is, is present when we fellowship together. There's great power when the people pray together. A lady Sunday that came and she she left and she said, I've got four questions. I've got to know whether we in agreement on these four questions. Question one, yes. Question two, yes. Question three, yes. Question four, yes. We're cool. Make sure that we're still cool if God puts you here and I pray something you ain't never heard before. Because we're not going to agree 100%. But maybe it's because your child doesn't agree with you because they've been saved longer. They've been taught. So be patient with that child. If they're one of his, one thing about it, God doesn't teach John 3.16 to me one way and Sister Jean another way. He doesn't do it. Christ is present when we fellowship together. I can tell when God is here. I can tell when I'm in fellowship with God. I'm obligated to every other Christian. That one goes over like a lead balloon. But it's still true. I'm obligated. Obligated what? Obligated to love them, to pray for them, and to encourage them, to lift them up. But I'm also obligated not to agree with them if they're wrong. One thing I did, and I'm not sorry that I did, I praised when my kids did good, man, I praised them. I wanted them to know, oh, Deb is proud of you. You did a good job. But if they were, didn't do a good job, I may remind them, said, remember when I got on you to practice and you wouldn't practice? That's the result of it. Think about this thing. How, I mean, you know, we've got to be consistent. We've got to be consistent. I'm obligated to every other Christian. I'm obligated to be here. And let me give you an example. I don't know whether you agree with this or not, but I hope you do because I'm a member of this church like everybody else is. Right? And uh, Steve could not show up Sunday. 
and you will say, we're Steve. Oh, I don't, I don't know. He says something about this. He says, what if I didn't show up Sunday? I'm a member too. Steve holds an office. I do too. But see, everybody, well, I got a right to know why my pastor's not here. Okay? Then I've got a right to know why Gene's not here. I mean, you're taking this membership and putting it, you know, one is more important than the other. We got a more important position. You know. Number 11 is fellowship. Participating in God's family. How can a large church maintain close friendship while tremendous benefits are derived from corporate worship? Every member needs to be a part of a small group in order to establish and maintain close relationship. So that's why in a large church you have this group, that group, that group, that group, and it's got its benefits. But when it comes to worship, there's no groups. What are you leading to? I don't know how anybody else feels. <laughs> when I was assistant pastor at Grace Baptist Church, Brother Bill gave me a little article. He said, read this and pray about it. I said, all right. Because, and when I got done with the article, Doris said, What's the matter? I said, no, it doesn't matter. He said, oh, yes, something's the matter. I said, well, I don't want to, want to talk about it. He didn't, he didn't ask me, but he indicated, would you be willing to, to be the over of the junior church? I said, there ain't no such thing as a junior church. You're going to take those kids at 12 years old down and you're going to put them in a group by themselves? What are you saying? That 12-year-old can't be saved? That 11-year-old can't be saved? That 10-year-old can't be saved? Rodney Bumpus, my nephew, says today, I was saved when I was five years old. And people in the church said, he's too young. How do you know he's too young? You want to send him downstairs to a junior church? Where's that authority? See, the only thing I do is when people mention something, show me in the Bible. Give me principle. Ain't no junior church in the Bible. You can't divide the church. We have prayer and we separate when we had the kids and we all go to Sunday school. But that's not church. It's Sunday school. That's why we're trying to get them. And, and I'm, I would like to live long enough to, to have that 20 or 25 kids in 
Sunday school. Because that means you've got a chance of having 20 or 25 moms and dads. But it's a job to teach five or six or seven kids, especially when they are allowed to do whatever they want to, you know. You know, I... I'm almost ashamed of this, but I was teaching uh, Sunday school, the Bible school, and Brother Herschel Bumpus was my assistant. And I told that kid to shut up about 14 times. So had a coat hanger on the back weaver. I picked him up and hung him on that coat hanger. <laughs> Herschel said, you've gone too far. <laughs> I said, you're right, but it's over. I've already done it. I mean, it was such a little brat. But that scared him so bad that he shut up. So I took him off and put him back in the seat. You know, I was wrong. I went to his dad, told him what I'd done, and said I was wrong. He said, knowing you, if he did it again, you'd probably do the same thing over. Probably, and I would be wrong the second time. You don't do that. But we've got to teach the kids that Sunday school is church too. Some I just, Linda probably don't, just in the maybe I know whether, or you here when we had all the buses for Sunday school, for Bible school, I mean, we ran the, we had them out there in the backyard with a little shelter part, I mean, you know. Loved every minute of it. You know, because we had people that were willing. You can't do things unless you have people that are willing we had a choir, a beautiful choir. I got, a, I got it on tape, you know. So, you know, you said, well, if you think about it, make me a copy of that CD. Those people could sing. And the song leader, and I'm going to close with, with this, the choir leader, my daughter was a piano player. And anybody that ever heard Kim play, she can play. She can tickle those ivories. She had a habit of being late. She'd be late for her own funeral if it was possible. But she came in late. And Mark, who was the, the choir director after the choir was over, he called her out on it. And four or five people said, you going to let him do that? He's choir director. I can't put him in as choir director and ask the church to vote on it and then tell him he shouldn't do something that he had a right to do. 15, 16 people sitting there waiting for him. So, I mean, that's what's holding an office is on time. God's going to come right on time. And I want to be ready.
I don't want to be running out the door. And my wife said, that's right, don't mess those fangs. <laughs> so I, I fixed that problem. She just, most of the time, if she's up, she picks my clothes out. I don't think some of them mess themselves, but I don't care. As long as they're clean. We ought to want to be faithful in every manner of our life for the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time.